right in because we have a lot to touch on and I don't want to miss a beat. As you know, week three is on Moses' call and Jesus' baptism. Week one, we introduced Exodus and Luke as the two books that are going to be touched on. That was week one. We went over the overview, the historical culture, context between both books. Um, we also compared the literary styles and themes. And the key chapters in the first one were Exodus 1 and 2 and Luke 1, 1 through 4. Week 2, we went into the birth and early life of Moses and Jesus. We found out that there was a lot there. Uh, last week was intense. Anybody can agree with me on that? There's a whole, whole lot in there. Well, I'm praying that today God will take us from glory to glory. Uh, we talked about the analyzing the birth, the narratives of Moses and, and in Exodus, and of course, Jesus and Luke, understanding the significance of their early lives, what was important about their early lives that were similar, but also what was different. Comparing the events surrounding their births, we talked about the myths that have come about in the narratives, the birth narratives of Jesus, which is so sad because you tell anybody this who doesn't know this, they will present to you one of those uh, birth narratives, and you see it's falsified because you see three kings, and there weren't three kings, and you see the three kings in the manger. That's not true. It's false information, and it's to show you how every generation will embrace a false information based on their parents telling them or that they heard it and other people said it. You've got to go in there and investigate and be a critical thinker. If there's one thing we want to make a layer here at the flow is making sure that we build a concrete situation where we are not easily swayed. Where people can tell us stuff, it's not for us to be. Now, I want to make this clear as well. It's not to us for us to be combative. It's not for us to find someone and be like and try to belittle them. That's dead wrong. But it's to be able to know, and even with love, to bring a person to a place and say, look, let me explain to you. You know, and, and, and even ask them, what do you think happened here? What is your opinion on it? Listen to them. Let them say what they're going to say. Let them develop their narrative and then bring them to the truth that the Holy Spirit gives. To understand that we're breaking some major, major, uh, I don't even know what to call it, uh, paradigms and understandings. We're breaking traditions that people have built for years. We three kings of Orient are... Bearing gifts, we've traveled so far, and all of that becomes part of Christmas. Mind you, Jesus was two years old when they showed up. You read it, you find out it wasn't, it wasn't in a stable, or it wasn't in that place that everyone says they showed up. It was in his home. And Luke and Matthew give us the difference. Who did show up? On the first day. We talked about that last week. Who showed up were the shepherds. 
the shepherds had to show up because it was the narrative of the shepherds being shepherds that were there for someone who was going to be the shepherd of shepherds. It, w- it had to do with the endeavor and the colleagues of Jesus showing up because they were in the field smelling bad, smelling bad because they were amongst creatures that smell. But they showed up. Did that make sense? They were amongst people that, uh, creatures that smell. See, I said people, right? Jesus came to his creation and decided to stain himself. That's, that's a powerful move when you're going from royalty and you just drop down on purpose. I love the way the author of Hebrews says it. He left his glorious throne. He left that place of glory. In Colossians, it specifies that as well. It speaks of Jesus being the, the, the very character of God on earth. You want to know God? Know Jesus. What would God do in a moment like that? We got it here. It's in the word. You know, if, what would God, I really want to know the mind of God in something like this. Study Jesus. Even Jesus said that to Philip in John 14. Philip was like, if you, listen, man, if you just show me God, just show me God one time, I promise. He said, how long you been with me, Philip? How long we been hanging out, you and I? And you mean to tell me you still want to find out God and who God is? Look at me. I'm here. When you see me, you see him. So we find out real quick that the immutable God, write that down, immutable, the immutable God will always do what he did. It's what makes him the alpha and the omega. His desire to bless us is the same desire he had to bless the people of Israel. His desire to deliver us today is the same desire he had to deliver the people of Israel. In other words, you want to know if God is interested in you? Pay attention to his patterns, not just in the Old Testament, Exodus, but also in the New Testament, Luke. That's why I'm doing this study. I want to show you the threads. The threads are clear. And two elements I want you to touch on that we're going to touch on today, two elements, water and fire. Water and fire. These are two elements that God will always use in the purification process. One seems to be more intense than the other, but if I had the question right now, how many people would prefer, I know you prefer neither one of these, right? But how many people would prefer being burned to the stake or drowning? Those burned to the stake, what would you prefer? If they gave you a choice to be burned to the stake or to drown, which would you prefer? Burned to the stake, show of hands. One, two, three, four. All right, drowning, show of hands. Guys, this is not a profession that you're going to drown or burn to the stake, guys. This is a question that I want to see because of our psyche. I'm not saying that this word, you're tossing it out, and oh my God, we got we to move away from that spiritual aspect sometimes. God knows what we're doing here. He's not ignorant to what we're doing. I'm asking you for a reason. 
because today we're going to talk about those two elements in a calling. So I'm going to ask again, please participate, even just to participate. Those of you who would be, rather be burned to the stake, show of hands. Okay, all right. Those of you who would rather be who rather drown, show of hands. Should be everybody else, right? Well, for those of you who didn't raise your hands the first time, you were right. You shouldn't have. But I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Here's the reason why. Because for God, what we think is dangerous and bad is a continual thing in heaven. I need you to understand something. Fire and water did not start on earth. Fire and water did not start on earth. Fire and water was already present. I can prove it to you in the book of Revelation. It was already present in heaven. That's the reason why the dominance of both, God had to show his dominance of two elements that can destroy us. That's what makes him God because those two elements cannot dominate his promises but can also be used to complete his promises. In-depth analysis of Moses' call at the burning bush in Exodus 3. Moses' call at the burning bush is a pivotal moment, guys, in the narrative symbolizing his transformation from a shepherd to a leader. He was chosen by God. Chosen by God to deliver the Israelites from slavery. That account is rich. It has theological symbolism. It has literary elements. There are things in there that seem unusual, but they're there unusual on purpose. It's so hard when you're around theologians who are always constantly trying to prove the the watered-down version of God. Those of you may have not had the experience, but I, and during the time I was in the seminary, I had to deal with individuals that were always looking to find ways to water down God. They would always humanize a moment. They would try to find a reason why there was a burning bush, that it wasn't really a burning bush, but some mirage. Because he was so, it was so hot, the place he was in, he must have seen something else. Or, or, or the, the parting of the Red Sea was because that time of the season, that time it was, it was, it was uh, the water would, would open up and let people go on dry ground. This, I'm serious. These are theologians who study the word, and as they go through the word, or one that I love the most, right, is the whole thing in 1 Kings chapter 17, where it speaks of Elijah being fed by the ravens. To say that the ravens are, were a bunch of band of, 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 um, of individuals that were called ravens, and that the ravens, were, it wasn't really a bird, it was people that was feeding him. I've heard that. Theologians studying the word, trying to water down God. Well, I'm here to say that there is a generation that's going to be wise enough and understand this word to be able to present the power of God, the anointing that really does exist. Just because we can't do certain things doesn't mean that God can't. That's what humanizing God is. Just because we get mad at certain things doesn't mean God gets mad at that. Well, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. We are, we're, ready to call, we're ready to strike lightning down. 
destroy that person because we believe that that per- that whatever took place is what gets God upset. And he's looking at you saying, nah, that's you. That's why he told the sons of thunder, man, you guys are crazy. You think I'm going to call lightning down, destroy fire and destroy everybody? That's what you want. That is your judgment. But I am going to bring fire, but a different kind of fire. The fact that the bush is burning but not consumed by the flames signifies the divine nature of the encounter. God wanted to make sure that that encounter was a divine moment. When God wants to get your attention, he's going to do something to you or do something around you that you got to scratch your head. The moment you figure it out, is it still a miracle? Let me say it again. The moment you figure it out, is it still a miracle? Based on last week, we, we went over that. If you can figure something out, you've removed the miraculous part of it. Sometimes it's not intended for us to figure it out. The use of fire as a symbol has two, two symbolic elements. It's significant in representing purification. Actually, three. Write this down. Fire. Purification. Transformation. And judgment. Fire. Purification. Transformation. And judgment. Remember what I just said. Heaven already had fire and water before earth did. Let me give you something else that took place in heaven before. So that would this make sense to you? In heaven, <laughs> the face of a lion existed before a lion was created on earth. In heaven, the face of an eagle existed before an eagle was created on earth. Who's with me so far? The four living beings existed before the creation of the earth. Because in the beginning, God created what first? The heavens. And then secondly, so everything created in heaven was already moving and in motion. So what God did was he brought the images that were already in heaven and brought it to earth. Why? The lion, top of his class, right? Eagle, top of his class. Ox, top of his class. And of course, humanity. Four living beings. All of those faces existed before on earth. Is everybody understanding this? That's why Jesus made it clear in Matthew 6. On earth as it is. He wanted to show that there is this combination. Heaven already acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Heaven already knows how great God is. Heaven doesn't require a demonstration of miraculous, of the miraculous. We do on earth. Heaven is a continual, perpetual place of the miracles. So when someone is being healed here on earth, you ask, in heaven, is, is, is there any healing going on in heaven? There's no need for a healing ministry in heaven. But there's a need for a healing ministry here. On earth as it is in heaven. Finances are only for earth. That's why the streets are made, are made of gold. I take that literally. Streets of gold. That's why Jesus was able to say, you know, it, it, let me tell you the truth, guys. The truth is, my father has mansions prepared for you. 
They're yours. What real estate? You have real estate. I'll give you a planet if you want. Moses' hesitation is what I want to touch on as well. Moses' hesitation and reluctance to accept his call reveal his human vulnerability. He was definitely insecure. And some of us get called, it could be by the greatest miracle. We have short, everybody say, I have. We have an issue with remembering things. We can go through something yesterday. And be celebrating while the glory of God and God touched and God healed. And the moment something presents itself. For whatever reason, that moment did not exist. We don't remember. And that's why I say it's important when people say, man, God keeps repeating things over and over again. He knows his creation. He said it again in, 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 in Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 46. He said it again in Isaiah 52. He knows his creation. He has to be repetitive. Repeat it again because we forget. Let's go to Exodus 3.11. Exodus 3.11. Now we're going to start reading some stuff. I pray that I get through all, all of my notes today. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? What was the thing that Moses asked God? Anybody know? What did Moses ask God? What was in that in that? Discourse he had with a burning bush. What was the question he asked God? See if anybody knows. You got to say it loud. Say again. Yeah, that was one of the things he was concerned about, but there's a question he asked God. I touched on this a little bit last week. What, what did he ask him? What was the thing that made him go into this stage right here? Notice what he said. I'm going to give it away if I say this. Notice what he said. Moses, he protested to God, who am I? So what did he have to ask God? Well, that's what he would want it. He definitely wanted to, you know, pick somebody else. But his question, huh? Who's very close? See who sends me. Who she said that. She said that. Who sent me? Who what's your name? What's your name? What's your name is important because a name always gives us an idea of who's in front of us. So I go, Claudio. I know Claudio, so wherever Claudio is, and if I want to describe him to anyone, I say Claudio. And so immediately you go to Claudio. God didn't want that. Because 
if you give a place power to sustain an entity, his power is only based on location. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. Where he is is what you're going to say he only has control over. So God had to answer him that question. What was the answer to that question? I am past, present, and future. I can't give you a stationary name, sir. Because then I'm only stationary in that area. I got to give you a name that transcends distance, space, and time. Who's with me so far? So I am was the name. Now notice what he says. Who am I? The opposite of who I am. Who am I to appear? I am is with you. Stop, say, stop asking am I? Who am I when I am? Is able to be in front of you and around you and with you every step of the way. He will be with you. God said I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. That was one of many signs. Hmm. What should I tell them? What? Okay, I got you. I got the assignment. What should I tell them? Who should I say you are? Let's continue. God's reassurance to Moses includes revealing his divine name, which I said that already. Exodus 3.14. This name often rendered as Yahweh, by the way, by the way, again, we just like making stuff up. The name Yahweh or Yehwah or Yoweha, whatever you prefer with those, uh, um, uh, what do you call those? Vowels. There is no vowels in the name of God. And the reason why there couldn't be vowels again, it would be a name. It would lead to a name, then again, stationary. So you know what God did to make sure that the devil has to hear his name over and over again? You know what God did to make sure he gets on the devil's nerves? That's why the devil's rampant right now. He can't stand the fact that there is a constant mentioning of his name That even a sinner has to mention his name. Sinners right now mentioning his name right now, right this moment. Right now in the world, they're, they're mentioning his name. I'm not saying when they, you know, you get hit in the foot and you go, Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the name of God. Y-H-W-H is the way it's written in Hebrew. It's so intense that if you ask a Jewish person to write the name of God, they will not. You know what they do? I've, I've had a lot of Jewish friends, and they'll put, in the name of God, they put G slash D. Just to not say God. That's reverence. Amen. We'll take that. That's reverence. My point is, it's not even that. So every time a child is born... The first thing the child does is say the name of God. What is, what is YHWH? You know what it is? 
It's the very breath of God was given to Adam. That's the only thing that would give him life. Dirt cannot be animated unless it has the life of God. We are animated dirt, guys. All right, let me tell you what we're, let's, let, let me share with you what we're composed of. We are dirt, right? If, if, you, if you take dirt and you take our skin and you can see it's the same thing, right? We're water. What's the percentage of water we have in us? 70, 75, some of us 80. Water. What else? There's salt in us. You better believe we are the salt of the earth. There is salt. Some of us have too much salt. Get the high blood pressure. Minerals. We are the earth. We're literally water flowing, rivers flowing inside of us. The blood that flows in us, that's water. That's why the mission has to start in that. But what you don't realize, there's also another thing going on in us. Maybe some of you do. No. We have electricity. Every time I'm thinking, there's electricity. Spurts of electricity. Like if we were able to harness that, like if there was a way to, y'all going to be mad at me on this one. If there was a way to harness energy with children, like if we would plug them all in there right now, just plug them. We wouldn't have to pay PSENG, uh, Con Edison. We wouldn't have to pay any of that stuff. We would store it up. I sure, I'm sure Elon Musk is trying to come up with something. Because the sparks of energy, fire, electricity, we are comprised of the elements. Because all three elements are a representation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us create them in our image. What's that, water? Yeah. What's that, dirt? Yeah. What's that, electricity, fire? Yeah. In our image. That's why the tabernacle. Mm. I won't get in, I promise I won't get into it right now. Because we're going to dedicate a whole, two Sundays to the tabernacle. But in the tabernacle, there had to be constant what going on? What had to be always constant in the tabernacle? Huh? Fire. The fire could never be put out. But have you ever seen when water and fire come together? What happens when water and fire come together? Smoke. Mist. Smoke. Why? Because that's the combination that is a cycle of life. All right, let's continue. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it in a place where I want to make sure you guys take this home with you. So here we go. Here we go. One of the theological foundations understanding is the nature of God within Judaism and Christianity. The commissioning of Moses to deliver the Israelites reflects the theme of liberation and the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. It demonstrates God's faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham. There was a covenant made with God, with Abraham. Abraham, God told Abraham. Now, the good thing about covenants with God is that it's a unilateral covenant. Write that down. 
unilateral covenant. What does it mean to have a unilateral covenant? That one side is more responsible than the other. Anybody have an insurance policy? An insurance policy is unilateral. The burden of giving the funds falls more on one side than the other. It's unilateral. God's promises are greater than your circumstance. Watch this. No, it gets better. God's promises are not detainable by foolishness, but rather by neglect. Did you get that? That's great. See, the foolishness, God knows. He knows his creatures are foolish. Is anybody here foolish? If you didn't raise your hand, you are foolish right now, right this moment. We do foolish things. And our foolishness is even in the area of trying to know that we know nothing. Trying to say we know something when we know nothing at all. That's foolish. I know it all. You don't know it all. Because you're saying you know it all, you just made a foolish statement. That's foolishness. But it doesn't change. Foolishness does not alter the promises of God. Here's what alters it. Neglect. Because you can be foolish and repent. Oh, by the way, that's what Jesus did on the cross, guys. Uh, so in the Old Testament, foolishness led to death. That was the purification process. In the New Testament, foolishness led to death. But from one person. Jesus had to inhale all of humanity's foolishness. Not because he was foolish, but because he had to become human to take it in. This is why Exodus and Luke are the perfect combination. Because in Exodus, we're going to see the beatdowns for purification. In Luke, we're going to see the redemption for purification. And why purification by way of Jesus has allowed us to fail and win. I am not making an excuse for people to sin. I'm saying that when you sin, you have a comeback. The power of the resurrection is none other than the story of a comeback. To go from a place of nothingness, nothing, no mobility, no nothing. You are not animated. Your dirt is dirt for real meaning your body. You are dirt for real. And for Jesus to break the pattern and show us that we have a way out even when we're in our worst situation, the story and the narrative was so that we could understand there is not a situation that can take place that will prevent us from resurrecting. I don't care if you tattooed your eye, your eyeballs inside here. I don't care if you put 666 in there. You're not hearing me. The restoration process is more powerful than the act done. And if you're touched by the I am, then you become an inheritor or a, 
a, uh, a vessel of the I am. So that means that you got to get better. There's no, there's no such thing as, oh, that's great. You went to a party last night. Like if you went to a party last night, you got drunk, you got high, you did some crazy stuff. I'm sorry. It's wrong. There's no excuse to say on Saturday night, I'm doing this, and then, and, and then in your mind go, well, you know, there's always a Sunday. I'll just repent. You just messed up. Because you, you, your desire is to put Jesus back on the cross again. The cross was one time. The power of redemption, one time. First Peter chapter 3, one time. There was no need for him to do it again. Hebrews chapter 8 and 9. One time for all time. Everybody with me so far, right? Our desire has to be, Lord, do as you will in me. I know I mess up. How many people here mess up? I love asking those kind of questions, right? Because you know, you know. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't need to let anybody know that I mess up. We, you know, we know. Because as long as we're here on this earth, we'll find ourselves in need of a redeemer because there's always an Egypt ready to hold us down. Slavery is always crouching to try to bring us to a place where we feel like we can never get out of it. Furthermore, Moses requests for God to send someone else. Exodus 4.13. You know, God will listen to our whims and desires and he'll have a backup plan. What's plan B? What was plan B for the call of Moses? What's his name? Aaron. Who was Aaron? Big or younger brother? Older brother. Very good. That's important. Because the oldest has what? The oldest usually gets what? Inheritance. So it's important to know that Aaron had to defer to his brother. It was an older brother who was chosen to be a part of the mission. Mind you, who did all the talking? But yet the people knew it came from who? Because God's favor will not cause confusion. Ah. And when the favor of God is on your life, you don't got to promote yourself. The favor speaks on your behalf. Don't get caught up with having to let people know about you. I got to let them know. No, you don't. You know, Jesus, the greatest plan of introduction was done in the book of Luke. And Matthew too. And Mark. And John. You know what the greatest plan of introduction is? Here it is. There is a guy that I know who's a great man of God. He knows how to deal with people, and he sits down with them, and he counsels them. He loves on them no matter what. And even when he doesn't understand the language in full, he still is able to show his love. And as a pastor, he has been selected by God to do God's work. He loves his family. He has transformed. He's been to that place of darkness and has come out. He was addicted to drugs. His addiction 
was trying to wipe him out, but because God had a plan for him. But today, he brings people out of addiction. That's what the introduction is. Who am I talking about? But this man right here. This man has shown his love for God, for family, and for people around him, and did not allow his language to be an impediment. He has considered life to be to live for God with issues and flaws, because we all have them. But made a commitment. And you know what? God, even in our flaws, still sees the future you. So the completion of him is who we're talking about, not the in-between. Now, what did I just do, guys? Would Would it have been better for him to talk about himself like that? Would it, be, would it have been good for him to stand here and go, guess what, guys? I'm like the best of the best. I'm the best pastor there is. Love me. I know. I've been through it already. I know what it is. Jesus could have successfully told the world when he showed up, here I am. I am the son of the most high God. I am the Messiah. Here I am. I came, and you got to love me. Let me show you what I can do. Love me? Take a look. Get up. Look what I can do. He didn't do that. He had to be introduced. So far be it from us, for us to feel that we need to give ourselves this extra compliment and introduce ourselves. That's why I love it when when men of God, true seasoned men of God and women of God, They don't go to you to find out about you. They go to your children. You know how many times seasoned men of God have decided to go to the children or to the wife or to the husband? And, you know, you can separate because you always have rogues within your family. It's the nature of things. Like, the rogue child doesn't really describe your efforts. It happens. But the principles are there. And you're able to identify what's what. Is that making sense? So we got the progression of Moses from hesitation to acceptance. It's the narrative. The arc that engages the reader, making them empathize with his internal struggle and eventual growth in faith. In conclusion, with this part, Moses' call at the burning bush is a multifaceted narrative that holds theological and symbolic and even literal significance. It addresses themes of divine presence. We know there was a divine moment, divine presence, but it also shows human vulnerability. So when you're in the presence of God and you realize how vulnerable you are, you leave a narrative even for your children. Now they don't say, wow, you're super dad. No, I'm weak, in need of a savior. Now, when the Savior is working in me and through me, I am supernatural. There's nothing wrong with being confident in your God and you. There's something wrong when you're confident in you versus God. 
You can let people know God uses me. That's nothing wrong with that. But when you're using, God uses me now becomes, wait, now you, you're not even saying in the name of Jesus. Now you're like, get up in the name of me without saying in the name of me. Unfortunately, the ministry of deliverance has a small danger that needs to be talked about. And I pray that in the future we'll be able to get to that place. Because there's such power and authority given to deliverance ministers that you can get caught up in thinking that you're the one doing it. And now your confidence is no longer the, the area of the Lord rebuke you like the archangel Michael did when he was having a bout with the devil. But rather, now you go in the name of Jesus the Christ. I corrected someone who I love very much, man of God, powerful man of God. I said, you want to up your game? I said, you want to up your game? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to explain to you how important it is to say and understand the right thing. Now, it wasn't me trying to be greater than him because I, I just received from him. Like literally, I received, I was in a place and I received from him in a big way. And then God told me, this is, this is what you call a symbiotic relationship. This is what you call a, an exchange. And he gave me this to give to him. He said, tell my son to stop saying in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh-oh, did I get in trouble? Yeah, I know. Some people are you're looking at me like, what? I saw some people change posture. Guys, Jesus of Nazareth is a location and a place. When you say Jesus of Nazareth, you must include Nazareth, the people. And if you really want to get technical, why not Jesus of Bethlehem? Because it's supposed to be where you're born. Where was he born? So in the name of Jesus of Bethlehem, which has more, more, more implications when you talk about what Bethlehem means. Bethlehem means house of bread. But you can't say that because Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus of Bethlehem is Jesus of a region. Not Jesus, the Christ of the whole universe. So when I say, and I told this person, I said, start using in the name of Jesus the Christ. And not Jesus of Nazareth. Because Jesus the Christ is the one who did not really die. The Nazarene, his whole country, his whole, that whole area, he got to that area because that was the area that was assigned to the business of Joseph and Mary. It was also going to be the epicenter of everything that was going to go around it. The truth is that Jesus the Christ was the one who rose from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth was the one who had to tell his mother, woman, but was, his, was still a son. That's who she saw. 
Jesus of Nazareth. That's why she felt compelled to ask him and tell him, solve this problem, please. He said, woman, he didn't say, mom, it's not yet my time. He said, woman, it is not yet my time. For if I listen to you now, then I am giving you power to let me know when to do it. That makes you God. Everybody clear on that? Jesus the Christ is the reason why today we can say, I can overcome whatever presents itself. Insight into the nature of God, understanding the Judeo-Christian traditions, and realizing what is good and what is bad. Mark chapter 6 gives us an example of why, if you're calling him Jesus of Nazareth, it puts you in this category. Listen to me carefully. Mark 6 shows a Jesus who wants to go back to his hometown. And when he goes to his hometown, he's teaching them. I mean, that's a desire, right? Teaching them. And then one of them or two of them or maybe three of them came out and said, oh, wait, wait, hold on. They were, the word says they were in awe. So for a moment, he got them. Until they remembered what? I saw, I saw him grow up. He's a kid from the market. He's Joseph's son. He's, he was coming to get, buy milk and bread. And, him? Are you kidding me? I saw when he, they were throwing rocks together. I saw familiarity killed the flow that even God himself, Jesus being God, the word says he could not do miracles because of that. Think about that for a minute. Familiarity will prevent you from doing the miracles that you can do with someone. If you get too familiar with me, you will remember me and my flaws and not the package that God gave me for the day. You will tell me to leave the package on the floor. We can't let you. You will prevent me from doing my job because you see my flaws. Meanwhile, that package is really for you. And you end up rejecting the very thing that is assigned to your life because you based it on me. Jesus, being God, had to show them, I'm here for you, but they rejected him. And you know what the word says? He can only do a little bit of miracles. I don't think there was any other place that he, well, there was one place that rejected him completely. But I don't think there was any other place where he was limited by that level of familiarity. But his own place. That's why Jesus of Nazareth, if you know the Nazarene, if you know the one who's from Nazareth, if you stay focused on that, you cannot get to understand the power of the cross and the resurrection. As a matter of fact, if you stay with Jesus of Nazareth, you will stay focused on the cross. And that the real essence, 1 Corinthians 15, the reason why we are the body of Christ. If there's no resurrection, this is all for nothing. 
Anyone can die. Let's continue. Number two, everybody has their, uh, their syllabus, right? All right, we're, we're going on, on the second bullet point. Understanding the theological implications of Jesus' baptism in Luke. I want you to pay attention to three things. When Moses was called, let's go with Moses first. That's good. That's a good one there. We're going to pop that back on there again. There we go. When Moses was called, fire was used. When Jesus is called, baptism, water is used. Now, if you think about in the beginning, the two times of purification, we talk about Genesis chapter 6, where the flood took place. And the flood was the purifying element used, not fire. But in Genesis, we've run again across another situation, Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody knows about that. And this time it wasn't water. It was fire. So water and fire are two elements used for purification. However, in the calling of Moses, it was going to be more the fire than the water, even though the water was going to respond. In the calling of Jesus, it was going to be more the water than the fire even though the fire would respond. Ultimately, what do we see in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 2, rather? Can anybody tell me what, what took place in Acts chapter 2? Write these, if you don't remember, just write these things down, because these are the things you're going you're gonna to have to remember. Acts chapter 2, what was used very similar to the burning bush? What was used? Tongues of fire. Fire was used as the element of continuance. Now, what was used, even though he was see, even though Moses had an experience with the burning bush, wasn't consuming, what did he mostly use? What did he mostly use? What yes, but what 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 was the somebody said it? Water. You see, Moses starts in fire and then uses water all throughout. Jesus starts in water and then all of a sudden fire is the element that continues on. Today, Holy Spirit is typified as two things, flowing water or consuming fire. Because now he, the consuming is what? What does the fire consume? What is the fire consuming? Well, the material, but if we're talking about in the spirit, what is the fire consuming? All that we do negatively within us. A true deliverance minister knows he's dealing with elements. Ah. Very good question. For the combustible, very good. For that to be continual, it needs to be consuming something. And the oil, also representing Holy Spirit, needs to be a continual. 
That's why it was unheard of for the holy place to have no light. Because there's no window. I don't want to get into it right now, but there's no window in the holy place. The holy place is dependent on light that comes from the inside that's consumed or consuming oil. Because it's a lamp. That's very, okay, you, you, you're, you're being visual. I like that. Water and oil. Can you mix them? Why? It's called density. Yes, density. The job of the Holy Spirit depends on the vessel. He, will, he can be oil. He can be flowing water. Never stagnant water, always flowing water. He can be wine. He can be honey. All these things are seen in the Bible, but they're always paired off with another. You never see it by itself. It's always paired off. Bread and wine. Milk and honey. All of it has a connection. The breath of God consists of air, fire, and water, which gave us, gives us life. Why oil, though? Why oil? I, I kind of touched on it a little bit, but why? Anybody else want to dive into that? Why oil? What does oil do? Why in the Bible we need to pay attention? We need to pay attention to every time oil is mentioned. Huh? Onhir, yes, to anoint. What does oil do, guys? It penetrates, okay. It what? It binds. There's something else that I'm looking for. Say that nice and loud. Oil shows a mark of its inception. It continues to show, even if it's moving, it shows you where it started. That's why it was important for a king to be anointed in the head. Why? Why would a king? Because what? <laughs> she said. <laughs> because it travels from the head to the what? So a king being anointed with oil shows a continual control or connection with the body. And there is a part where it speaks of the oil going onto Aaron's beard. And the beard is a representation of wisdom. The continual flow of wisdom from the head to the beard. Right, so the oil, very good. The oil consisted of certain spices that were important to know about too. But I don't want to get into that because that we're going to get into when we discuss the tabernacle. But there are spices that have meaning like cinnamon, like frankincense, like even myrrh. 
those gifts that were given to Jesus wasn't just because they were being generous. The colors on the tabernacle wasn't just because it looked good. There's a connection between all of it. And we're going to find out in this church what those connections are. Somebody had their hand up over here. I saw somebody's hand up. No? All right, let's continue. I'm going to give you these five different areas. How much time do we have? All right, here we go. Identification with humanity. That's number one. Jesus' decision to be baptized. So write this down. I'm going to give you what to write down. Just write down what I just gave you. Identification with humanity. Jesus' decision to be baptized, despite his sinless nature, demonstrates his identification with humanity. Baptism was often associated with repentance and forgiveness of sins. And by participating in this ritual, Jesus aligns himself with the human experience and emphasizes his solidarity with humanity. Understand that baptism did not start in the external experience. Baptism started in the womb. For the first baptism that you experience is when you're in the right now. What's his name going to be? Emmanuel James. Emmanuel James is in, that's beautiful, by the way. EJ, what's up? Thank you. You know I'm going to go there <laughs> real fast. Emmanuel James is in a perpetual state of baptism right now as he's being put together. When you're being baptized, you're going back to that state. You're getting all that needs to be removed is removed. You're going back to that resurrection state. That's the reason why in 1 Peter chapter 4, it speaks of, Peter speaks of the baptism being a, an, an image or the likeness of the flood. It's going into that water but coming out purified. So when Elizabeth and Mary met for the first time, or met together that time, they they both had baptized babies. And that first time, oh, they've got to get this. And the first time they come together, the encounter they're going to have in the future, they reenact. Oh, you didn't catch that. You didn't catch that. Elizabeth had John the Baptist. Mary had Jesus. They come together, and the reaction that takes place in their womb is for a future event in water again. It was transactional. It is a reenactment or an enactment for reenactment. Any questions? Number two, the anointed Messiah. Luke emphasizes the anointing of Jesus with the Holy Spirit during the baptism. The descent, by the way, it wasn't a dove, it was like a dove. Everybody wants to have the symbol of a dove, and that's the Holy Spirit. You know, we have, we have the dove there, too. It's with the water, right? That's part of our. But it wasn't a dove. 
it was like a dove, but, but, it was also like a dove. Now, you're going to love this one. You ready? In Genesis chapter 6, or chapter 9, actually, we're now moving forward, Genesis 8 and 9, we find an event take place. I kind of want to read this one. This one is pretty good. Let's go. Let's go to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, and we are going to go with 8-7. Um, Thank you. That guy right there, that guy. Let's start with 6. It says, after another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. This is another reenactment, folks. I told you I want you critically thinking. Holy Spirit will give you more when you are a critical thinker. It's not like you'll never, listen to me, you will, it's not like Holy Spirit will ever stop giving you wine. It depends on your wine skin to retain the wine. Your wine skin has to be new enough to retain new wine. If not, it'll burst. All right, look, 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 look what it says. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry, dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water, was still the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. There was still no peace on the land for the dove to land. So the dove had to return to the boat. Enactment, enactment, please see this. What was the purpose? To make sure everything was okay. The dove went out and came back because the earth had not yet been settled. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. After seven days, seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. That's round two. Comes back with olive. Olive is what, guys? Oil. Comes back, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, right? Resembling. Comes back with the olive branch. Which, by the way, the olive branch means peace. And Noah's name is, means also what? Rest. What it says. This time the dove returned to him in the evening. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Why didn't the dove come back? Because in the world of revelatory truth, that dove could not show up again until the next one was in the water where peace was truly found. So that was one old dove. <laughs> the dove that did not come back, mind you, this is the third time, and it had to be at the third time. At the third time, he is gone. 
but he's gone on a mission. For this dove, for it to make sense, you need to know the, the, the New Testament and understand why a dove and not an eagle. Why, why wasn't it an eagle? You know, uh, Jesus came out and there was an eagle in the sky. Why couldn't that have been something else? It had to be a dove because the very dove that was released in the ark was going to be the example of the dove that descended upon Jesus again by way of water. The water was always an element and the dove was also going to be an element of peace for peace had just arrived into the world. Jesus, his mission was about to reverse the curse. For that dove came from a curse to now a blessing that was going to be for all humanity and it had to be by way of water. So Jesus took on the inundation, came out, and the dove presented itself. It was like a dove. It wasn't an actual dove. And if it was a dove, then it's the dove that left the ark and just showed up again. I know. I, some people would think that. Whether it is or it isn't, bottom line is the significance of the peace of God entering to the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that what John the Baptist said? You got, you got a sheep. You got lamb. You have uh, uh, a dove. You have a lion later on. All of that's part of God's master plan so that we understand the patterns of the word. Next one. Trinitarian revelation. I need somebody to keep time with me, please. Trinitarian revelation. Trinitarian revelation. The baptism scene in Luke provides a unique Trinitarian revelation. The presence, of course, of Jesus the Son. He's there. The voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. There goes the Father, always with the voice. The Father, always with the voice. If you think of embodying the Father, make sure that you embody the understanding there's a voice. He is the voice. He is the one who declares. He is the authority in the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. The Spirit highlights the three distinct persons of the Trinity. This moment underscores the divine nature of Jesus and his unique relationship with the Father and the Spirit. That was an introduction of the Trinity in the New Testament. Before he starts his ministry, there had to be an introduction. Why is that important? Because the same introduction had to take place in the creation of the universe. Can we go there? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Who created? God. That's the Father. Created the heavens and the earth. Right? And the earth was a formless mass. It was dark. It was... But then we have something. Another introduction. But the Spirit of God hovered upon... Introduction, Holy Spirit. That's verse 2. Verse 1 was God the Father. 
Verse 2 is Holy Spirit. Then verse 3 introduces what John talks about. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was? So now the Word is what? Let there be light. Introduction. Old Testament introduction. New Testament introduction is the baptism of Jesus. Who was present? The voice of the Father, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in the water. Same cycle. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever he did in the Old Testament, expect it again in the New Testament, and expect it today. Number four, divine approval. The voice from heaven declaring, you are my beloved son. I just finished doing that right now. As a spiritual son, I was declaring, I was speaking over the life of Pastor Anthony. You need a divine approval. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Luke 3.22. That underscores God's approval of Jesus' mission and identity as the son of God. This declaration sets the stage for Jesus' ministry and reinforces his authority to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, and to bring about God's kingdom. And if you pay attention to how God works or how Jesus does things, he literally gives time for each one of those things. Like you find him teaching. When he's teaching, he's teaching. That's the segment of the anointing teaching. When he's healing, he's healing. When he's casting out demons, he's casting out demons. And when he's prospering, he's prospering because he's also interested in our well-being, physical body. That's why he fed the thousands. That's why it was important for him to feed because we require to be healthy. And we require the ability to retain, and nobody's retaining on an empty stomach. Thank you, Jesus. Number five. Hopefully everybody has a, has a full stomach right now. You got a good breakfast? Praise the Lord. Maybe you got to be like Jesus and say, you know what? You don't know the food I eat. This is my food. Thank you. I saw the sign New covenant initiation. New covenant initiation. That's the next one. Jesus' baptism marks the beginning of his public ministry and can be seen as the inauguration of the new covenant between God and humanity. The new covenant requires reconciliation. The reconciliation wasn't just humans to God, but it was God to humanity. God needed to be reconciled with humanity. Because God's justice was not being fully served yet. He was about to serve it in full until Jesus said, let me step in. Give me the blows. I'll take it for them. Next one, just to keep moving. Wow. While John's baptism, by the way, while John's baptism symbolized repentance and forgiveness, Jesus' baptism initiates a new era of salvation characterized by the transformative power of his life, death, and resurrection. Next one, example of humility. Jesus' baptism 
despite his sinlessness, serves as an example of humility and obedience. Obedience and humility is a vital part of our walk with God. By submitting to John's baptism, deference. Remember what I said deference is? Deference is what? Here's deference. You're younger than me. You're my spiritual daughter. If I intentionally sit here and tell me, teach me, I'm deferring to you because it's a willful submission. Deference is a willful submission. It's my will. Jesus didn't have to submit to John the Baptist. It was a willful submission to a lesser anointing. And not to say that your anointing is lesser, but it's submitted to. The submission is already there. For me to say, I'm going to submit to you in the moment, I am declaring, I want to defer to you. That's deference. Deference is a willful submission. When you know you can be taught by somebody who may not have the title and may not have the credentials, and you go, I'm still willing to receive from Geneve, even though she may not have the credentials, but she has what I require, that's deference. That is the willful submission. We need to be like that as believers. Yes. This is good. I, I remember you sharing this with me. It's so important to know that even though you're a doctor, my mother, she was a microbiologist. And in her field, she had to teach the doctors who, did, who had more, you know, more of credentials, but she had to teach them. They had to submit to the teachings of a microbiologist in order to be effective in what they do. That's powerful. Thank you for that. All right, let's, last one. Um, preparation and empowerment. The Holy Spirit's descent empowers Jesus for his ministry when he comes down. This event foreshadows the role of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I know many people say, the Holy Spirit for the first time came down in the book of Acts chapter 2. That is not the case. The first day of Pentecost took place in that river. Holy Spirit had already done it with Jesus. Is that Jesus, when he died, he gave us all the ability to receive that moment. My God, did y'all did y'all really get that? Like, maybe a little bit. We partake in the moment of Jesus when He was commissioned, because He died on the cross and resurrected, giving us the same authority. Yeah, I said it the same. Because we are co-inheritors 
along with Christ Jesus. We just got to believe that and know that. The Holy Spirit descended up, okay? Empowering believers after Jesus' ascension, it illustrates how believers are also anointed by the Spirit to continue Jesus' mission. I had one more, but I'm, I can't do it. Time is up. Comparison of the significance of these divine commissions. There were some really good ones here. Guys, this takes me a lot of time to put together. So much so that I just told a, couple, a deacon and an elder back there that, and a pastor that I'm going to turn this into a book. So everything you're seeing here is literally going to be the title of every one of my chapters. And these are going to be, see, all right, I got three so far. These three are going to be the first three chapters in the book. I'm taking this another step because I want to make sure that we're able to make this duplicable, not just for the flow. So everything we're doing moving forward, we're doing it for the sake of being the ones who are receiving for others to receive. You are standing in the, or sitting in the place of thousands that I believe will be blessed by this combination of Exodus and Luke. All right, we're done. But before we, before we close out really fast, are there any questions? Yes, thank you. Trinitarian revelation. Any other questions? I um, urge those who are still adjusting to not church as usual. It's okay. You'll find out real soon by December of this year why this is so effective and how this is going to help you. And dealing with not just people around you, but yourselves. Understanding the word is a powerful tool. You're able to get out. Listen, I was reading all of Psalms the other day with a bunch of pastors in the city. They, they wanted to read all the way to 90, right? And I was stuck on one. One of the pastors came out and said, I went all the way to 95. And I said, that's good. 55, stay alive. I stayed on 55. Why? Because 55 had something in it that I couldn't shake. When you read Psalm 55, write that down for yourselves. Read Psalm 55 and 56 because the answer's in 56. Read that. And maybe you'll find out why I was stuck. I wasn't disobedient. It's just that I got caught up with one of the sceneries on my way. And I stayed there. Go ahead. I have a question regarding Exodus. Uh, give me one second. I apologize. Exodus 3. So in Exodus 3, I believe it's the whole uh, the calling burning of, bush. The, mm -hmm. the calling of Moses. Um, and in verse 15, 
um, God is telling Moses, uh, you know, what name you're going to use uh, to tell your people. And he says that this is my eternal name, my name uh, to remember for all generations. Right. So I tend to call people like me and my wife. I tend to call people, oh, I tend to call people like how I need them. Um, so is this the same way, is this an example on how we should pray to God when we're, when we're praying? Like, so for example. I believe that every year of your life, there's a growth process. And what I call a person one time, it may mature in the process. I believe relationships are brand new every year. When you are married, if you don't understand that, you're going to expect the same things as before and be disappointed. I believe that God's process with us in a relationship depends on our ability to understand why. Because if it becomes a parrot scenario, if you're only doing it to see if there's power in saying it that way, you will lose yourself. Did that make sense? Unfortunately, there are people that will look for the magic potion. And all they do all day is try to find, well, the word says to do it this way, do it this way, then it's going to work. And they, they're disappointed because it doesn't work because they don't understand the essence. They only want to be able to repeat. So if you're looking for that word, if you listen, hear me out. If you're looking for that word that's going to make the difference, Without relationship, it's not going to do a thing. And relationship is what does it. Some of us were raised up to pray a certain way. Father God, in the name of... And our voice even changes. Like, we don't... It's the weirdest thing. We, we just... Our voice changes. We become more holy. Lord Jesus, my God, Father. We don't talk like that. But I believe that it's process. It's a growth process. As we grow, it becomes different. If you'd have heard the tongues I heard about maybe three days ago, Ma, what, three days ago was it? That you would have thought this person was crazy because it was mature tongues. It wasn't repetitive tongues or tongues that you've heard other people do. It's a growth process. That's why we're going to keep growing. Oh, yes, you are. I've been inviting everybody and their mother, brother, sister, uncle, and cousin, and all them to the baptism. <laughs> and everybody is responding to me. I mean, seriously, 90% of the people are like, I've already been baptized and almost becoming offended. Can you explain how I would respond to that? I've taught it so many times, I'm looking at you, see, maybe you'd want to answer that question, and that, that'll allow me my stage left, because the truth is, she's right, and we better have an answer for that. Us having the revelation of why we renew our vows is always going to be a question for someone to ha need an answer for. It's like, why do we preach the gospel every single day? Because there's somebody that needs to be saved. So every single time that this time of the year comes around, we have to be ready and refresh ourselves, just like Cynthia's asking. Okay, guys, so what do we say again when somebody asks? 
renew your vows. Didn't you do that already? So it's going to be something that every single year we have to sharpen up those skills to bring everybody again to that revelation that they can accept or they can reject and make it a true life experience. So I can fit my whole mouth with this. I was really getting be, in there be, for you. Before, before you go there, okay. I just want to read mm -hmm. what they've been using to come in opposition of this. This is the reason why they asked that question, because they were taught wrong. Look what it says. Ephesians 4, 7. However, he has given each one of us. No, I'm sorry. 4, 5. Let's go there. 4, 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord. Everybody agrees with me? One Lord. Everybody just say amen. Amen. One Lord. Amen. There's one Lord. Very good. There's one faith. Amen. Everybody agree? One baptism. One God. And Father of all. You know where the problem lies? One baptism doesn't say baptized once. It's saying one kind of baptism. There's one type of Lord. One type of God, one type of faith, one type. It's the one, the, the, the most important. And there's one baptism, one type of baptism that's connected to all of this. It's not baptized once. For if that were the case, then why would anybody want to? You know what? I'm going to let you rock the rest, the remainder of that. 